And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go! I got nowhere else to go! I got nothing else. Hello everybody and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spitero and this time out I am joined by my friend Al Sedano. Welcome aboard Al. Hello, thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for coming on, it's been too long. And you know, uh, for what it's worth, you know, Al and I had been messaging for I don't know a couple of months now, saying, "Yeah, we gotta, we gotta, you know, we haven't talked in a while. We gotta get together." And then it just kept happening and happening and happening. And then finally, uh, I uh, or or I Al actually asked me to be on his show, so he broke the uh, the ice, and uh, that led us to this. So I am always happy to have you on, and. Uh, just uh, for, since it's been so long since you've been on, what's new with you in comics? Uh, in comics or podcasting, or I guess either. Oh, it's a, a little from column A, a little from column B. Well, I mean, the Resurrection Show, we're doing a thing, we're almost done with a series we've been doing called Wilderness Years, where we're covering all the Adam Warlock, Thanos, like, uh, mini, like cameo and like setup appearances that happen between their deaths in Marvel Two and uh, Avengers Annual Seven, no sorry Marvel Two and Annual Two, and when they come back, you know, in the Silver Surfer run in the '90s to come up for uh, Finning Gauntlet. So all the stuff that kind of sets up all that, where the Soul Gems are introducing Nebula, Death of Captain Marvel, all that fun stuff. Very good We've been stuff. doing that. Comic-wise, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, from a comic-wise point of view, uh, I have now completed uh, my series of The Power of Warlock, uh, you know, the 1970s series. I had, I bought, I, I found on eBay a copy of issue number one at a reasonable price. Oh, I still need that one, yeah. And that is complete. I just need a couple of issues of The Strange Tales run to have that, uh, you know, the complete, I, I, well, that and uh, Marvel premiere number three, I think. And then I'll have the, you know, the, the complete uh, Adam Warlock solo books of the 70s. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, you got, I think I have, I have 12 of the 15. What am I missing? I'm missing one. Yeah, I'm missing like three of them. From that warlock series yeah i had gotten marvel premiere number one which i it, it's funny i had i bought a copy of it and i got it at a good price because the copy i got is the cover is a little sun bleached uh and i sorry so they were selling it at a reasonable price and i was kind of on the fence like should i buy this because of the sun bleaching uh and i ended up buying it and the interesting thing is it's the only time in 
what is it, almost 50 years that I've been collecting comics, that I've ever seen that issue for sale. I've never seen it on, on the wall in a comic store or, or, you know, at a convention for sale or anything. It's the only time I've ever seen it. So I'm kind of glad I picked it up when I did. Yeah. And I'm not sure if you were, if you accidentally said, because you said uh, premiere number three. Uh, if you're talking about the Warlock stuff, he's only in the first two. So if you have okay, one, so in two, I, I don't have number two, then I think. Let me okay. see. I could take a quick look at my CLZ app while we're talking. That's what I was looking at before to see what I had. Marvel Premiere. No, I do have one and two. Oh, then yes. I don't have issue three, but issue three, I guess, is a uh, Doctor Strange story. Yes, it is. Okay. That's, yes. I only need a handful of Marvel Premieres to fill out that whole series, but I have the, obviously, the, fir the first two issues of Marvel Premiere, and I have the full run of The Power of Warlock now, and I have a couple of the Strange Tales issues, but I think I still need, like, two or three of those. Yeah, I need some of the. I need like three or four, I need like four of the Warlock and the two Marvel premiere. I do, however, I did get the uh, Treasury size Jim Starlin Warlocks book that came hardcover that came out last year. Oh, I, you know, I haven't even seen that yet. Yeah, so it's more like Treasury size nice. of all of his Warlock stories from the 70s. His Strange Tales. I only have one of the issues. I'm not sure how many he was in. I have issue 181. Uh, I believe he's only in four of them, 78 to 81. So I'm going to need 78, 79, and 80. Let me double check that, but I'm pretty sure. That is correct. I'm, I'm looking at the app right now. Okay, yeah. Those are the three I'm going to need. So yeah, there's that. That's that. I'm I'm kind of at the point now where I'm trying to sell more issues and get more collections of them to take up less room and make it easier to keep them. Mm-hmm. You know, like, what things do I want to have actually permanently as opposed to the ones I'll just read digitally because I don't need to have them. So I I got for Christmas, I got the uh, the, the Legion of Superheroes Silver Age Omnibus Volume 1. Right. So that's a nice big thing. And actually, the the I don't know if they still have it that cheap, but in-stock trades had Volume 3 for $20. Wow. So I was like, well, how can I not get this? So I still <laughs> need to get two. But, you know, at least, hey, you know, 20 bucks for yeah. that, I'll take it. No, I, I, I've talked about this in the past, but I, you know, I, I pared down my collection and got rid of a lot of, a lot of the, you know, in, in air quotes, more recent books in my collection. Most of the books from 1990 on, I've gotten rid of one way or the other. Uh, but most of the books from 90 and, excuse me, 90 and earlier I've kept. And recently I've kind of been on a, on a roll going to comic stores and, uh, you know, going through eBay and finding some good buys there. So, I, you know, my, my collecting has been reinvigorated, but it's been much more focused. Yeah, I need to refocus mine because, I mean, back in the day, it was like, oh, I could go to a convention to start looking through. I'm like, oh, I, I don't have any of these and just start whipping stuff out. And now it's like, I have a lot of these or read them already. It's like, do I need to buy this now? Like, I need to start focusing on what things do I actually need to ha want to have as opposed to just, you know, what it was before, which was just going through anything. It's like, what can I afford? Yeah. Well, that's that's one of my laments about, you know, my early days of collecting. And I've talked about this many times, too, that, you know, when I go to a convention and I'd have, you know, $40 on me, 40 hard-earned dollars. 
And instead of buying, you know, an older book that, you know, was worth $40 then, that's probably worth $500 now, I'd buy $41 books that are worth $40 now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like you I would look through, my, like, what's the quarter limit. bin? You know, where's the quarter bin? Where's the dollar bin? Where's the, I remember one convention, I found a dime bin. Wow. I just went through buying a whole bunch of stuff. I'm like, I'm just going to throw, like, I don't care what this is. I'm going to buy a dollar's worth of stuff or like $2 worth and just throw it in the bathroom somewhere. And therefore, I always have something to read that I don't care about. That would, a, a 10 cent bin probably would have been my mother and father's nightmare back in the uh, 70s. Yeah. Because they already thought my, you know, my books were taking up too much space as it was. On the other so, hand, that'd probably be a dream bin for Professor Allen. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. He would definitely, he would have approved on that. <laughs> I, I, every once in a while when I talk to him and it's like, yeah, I spent $5 on this book, you could just hear his disapproval. Yeah, I think one of the things I'm thinking about is maybe I'm going to focus on things that aren't reprinted. So, mm -hmm. you know, like some of maybe like, I don't know how cheap I can find them. I haven't thought about it, but like someone was talking something recently about like the Jack Kirby 2001 series. Yeah, that I that actually have two issues on my one list for that, uh, which I don't know. I can't, I can't understand for the life of me why I wouldn't have every issue because I would buy them when they came out. But I have... I'm missing issues six and issue eight, and I know one of those is the first issue that Machine Man was in. And I know I have like one or two of them, and I know one of the ones I had was the Machine Man one. I just haven't gone through recataloging my stuff since I got that CLZ app, CLZ app that they're in there because they're just somewhere in the storage unit. Yeah, you're gonna have to dedicate some time to that. I'm sure your wife will be thrilled. Yeah, well, might as well do. I got to do it though before I don't have a storage unit. There you go. You know, whatever that is, because I get it from work because for free. But at some point, it's not worth keeping. You know, spending one hundred fifty dollars to a hundred dollars a month just to have stuff I don't know. Yeah, no, I, I have. In you know, we we moved into our house about two years ago, and I have a uh, perfect closet down in the basement with shelves on it that that are just the right size for short boxes and, and you know they, they line the entire closet so i um, it's like the perfect comic book room for me yeah it's funny you spend all this time trying to get as many issues as you can when you're younger and then when you're older it's like what do i do with these all yeah so well luckily for me because i have that closet they're you know they're not intruding on the rest of the household at all yeah and that's what i'm trying to do trying to go through and get rid of stuff before they start intruding Good luck. Yeah, it, yeah, definitely gonna need it. <laughs> so, uh, you know, for whatever it's worth, Alan, I came up with a theme for today. You know, Al picked his book, and then I and then I themerized it uh, by yep. picking a book that would kind of match. Uh, so we're, today we're talking miniature heroes. And Al, I have no idea what up. brought this into my attention. Besides, well, you know, you know what, movies. What's, what's <laughs> funny is the book that you picked uh, was the one issue of Marvel feature I didn't have <laughs> until about two weeks ago when I bought it off eBay. I, oh, okay, perfect. I, I bought a copy that's a little beat up, but it only cost me $2. Oh, there you go. So nice. Why, why don't you take over and tell everybody what book you got and let them know what it's about? 
sure. Marvel feature number four presenting presents the astonishing Ant-Man. And we have this cover. This is actually pretty cool of uh, tiny Hank Pym about to be in this what looks like a grungy house or apartment about to be stepped on, except he's holding a giant and looks like rusty nail against the foot. So now that's pretty cool. And it, it kind of gives me this visceral feeling of what it would be like to step on that nail. Oh, when that happens in the issue. Oh, my God. Oh, but that, that that's like creepy because that could happen. You know, you're not going to get blasted by Dr. Doom, but you could step on a nail. But I'm giving you the big butt on this. The way he's holding that that nail, his right hand is going to be dust when it's. Oh, yeah, it's going to get squished because he's holding it underneath the head towards the floor against the floor. So, yeah. He's going to actually have to push it up instead of letting the person come down. Yeah. But also, there's a special first issue guest star, the one and only Peter Parker. Yeah, I think it's, I, I, I just, you know, I, I don't want to, I was going to say I marvel at the fact, but that seems so cliche. Uh, that, that it's Peter Parker as the guest, not Spider-Man. Yeah, well, Spider-Man does appear and have a cameo, but yeah, it is mostly a Peter Parker story. I mean, guest stars, sorry, not Peter Parker story, but Peter Parker guest stars in the story. Which is actually kind of a cool thing in that I don't think happens much more because that's kind of a cool idea. Yeah, I agree. All right, I guess I'll do the synopsis real quick. So, uh, let's see, this is written by Mark Friedrich, artist Herb Trimp, lettered by John Costanza, with a jazzy introduction written by Roy Thomas. So we do get a brief intro of the origin of Ant-Man up until this point. Hank Pym, brilliant biochemist, develops the thing to shrink himself, gets stuck in an anthill, makes friends with ant, an ant, becomes Ant-Man, gets a partner to the Wasp, eventually becomes Giant-Man, Goliath, Yellow Jacket, and is now kind of retired from being a hero for the most part. And so this story basically features him working with a grad student named Peter Parker, uh, they're working on certain chemicals. They don't really say exactly what they're doing, but there's a slight explosion in the lab. And apparently he has a dog, Orky, who's been so specially trained, he can just tell the dog to do anything, and the dog does it. I mean, the dog's like crypto, practically. I and mean, we're talking crypto level of intelligence. It's amazing. I wish my dog was this good. Mm. But they get a visit from Goldie, who's a, a criminal uh member of a criminal syndicate wanting to get some drug samples they've been working with. And they say they've kidnapped Dr. Connor, you know, because they're helping doing this to help out Doc Connors. And they've kidnapped Dr. Connor's kid. And if they don't bring him the drugs, well, the kid's going to die. Uh, they go to Doc Connor's house, but Connor's is in Florida. And the wife and Peter don't want to tell, tell him because they know what will happen. They'll turn into the lizard. So Ant-Man decides to help out because he doesn't have a secret identity. They try to save the kid, but turns out the kid's been infected with rabies. Uh, they let themselves get captured. And then to get the stuff for them, basically, Ant-Man, you know, Peter Parker suggests they will be the captives. And they both get in, in, uh, injected. And Hank shrinks down again to try and uh, save the day, but finds out that basically he is now stuck at like one inch tall. But between him and Peter, because Peter is really Spider-Man, in case anyone here listening did not know that, 
they are able to take out the criminals. And then Hank has to figure out what to do with the fact that he is now stuck at like one inch tall and cannot grow again. Which I'm getting is the setup for these next couple issues. Yeah. Did you ever read the, the other issues? No, there are things I've seen them before, but I never had a chance to read them. And I always thought the covers look pretty cool. So that was the other reason for doing this. I'm like, well, the movie just came out. So I'm like, oh, Ant-Man. I'm like, hey, you know what? I've never read these at the very least. If I like this first one, it'll maybe get me to read the next few. Yeah, I, it was it, it was from was this issue four through issue ten I believe eleven and twelve are uh, tryouts for what eventually became Marvel two and one. There's That's two, right. Two That's thing the, team up stories. Yeah, we co- I covered one of them on the show because it's the thing and uh, Iron Man against the Blood Brothers. Right. I, I may have done that with you. You might have actually. Uh, anyway, uh, it's 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 not a bad run for the seven issues that they do it. Uh, and I guess, you know, it was, they were hoping to see if they could get Ant-Man popular enough to give him his own regular series. And I kind of liked the run, and I would have been on board with it, but I guess it wasn't popular enough to justify it. And then, you know, not too many years later, they ended up coming up with the Scott Lang Ant-Man. Uh, so, you know, I guess they yeah. felt like they needed to do something to... To, to spruce up the character. Uh, the thing that jumps out at me right, right away from the story is that the uh, splash page is clearly Herb Trimpey doing Kirby. Yeah. And even throughout the story, there's, you can see there's a little Kirby influence on, his, on how he's drawing it. Uh, but that, that page in particular is clearly Kirby influenced. And... Uh, the story overall, though, like I said, it's pretty cool. I, I think they, they they always have fun when they do the Hank can't shrink, Hank can't grow kind of thing. It's funny. I'm reading some early Avengers. And I'm like issue 30 and 31, and he's trapped at 10 feet tall. Right. Yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, and now he's stuck at an inch tall. Like this this guy, just like, no wonder he had a nervous breakdown. <laughs> and, you know, but that's one of the things, and, and we've talked on the show about, you know, the whole uh, Hank hits... Uh, Jan and you know that's that's for for whatever reason that's become the defining moment of his character which we kind of get annoyed at a little bit yeah just, everything goes back to that always they always reset to that no matter what the whole you know nervous breakdown and multiple uh, personality thing and everything I feel like that's some real great stuff that for them to work with and you you would think that that they would have had more success over the years with this character than they did uh I, I, I'm not a big fan, as much as I like Michael Douglas, and I do, but as much as I like him, I'm not a big fan of them making him so much older in the MCU than everybody else. Uh, I kind of I like the idea of, you know, Ant-Man is, or Scott Lang is, you know, in his mid to late 30s, and Hank Pym is in his mid to late 40s. You know, he's the older character, but he's not, I mean... I think uh, Michael He's not Douglas a generation is, older. Yeah, Mike, Mike Douglas has got to be in his 70s. Oh, yeah, at least. So, you know, that that's... I, I Again, I like Mike Douglas, but I, I don't necessarily agree with casting him as the character. Uh, you know, for whatever that's worth. But in this story, and again, you know, this, this is one I remember when I first started buying books... You know, I, I we, there was a comic store that we used to go to, and they would have 
the bins there and, and the way they used to do it then is he would take like a black magic marker and over the comics code uh, seal he would mark 25 or 30 or 35 or whatever it was like that was the price of the book so I still have books in my collection that have that uh, and this was one that I remember there were many many copies of this in in the bins so that's why I'm, I'm looking back and I'm like how did I not have this in my collection and I don't really understand how, but I, you know, I think I picked up most of the, most of these issues in out of those bins. Uh, and, uh, it, it, it was a solid run. Yeah. Now, it, I, the only thing I can think of maybe for you is just that I'm thinking of myself at least is like if there was something there they had like one of and something they had like eight of and they had the same price, I might have picked up the thing they only had one of because well the eight of is still there. And you keep doing that until the point like well they still have seven, they still have six, they still have five, <laughs> and then all of a sudden. Oops. It's gone. No, but I definitely owned this at some point. Why I don't own it, or why I didn't own it again, uh, I don't know. But whatever the case may be, I was able to replace it. Uh, when when they're uh, when Peter and Hank are both attacking the goons, there's the one guy that, in my mind, is clearly odd job from Goldfinger. Oh yeah, yeah. We have. I mean, this is like an assortment of like criminal henchmen or criminal types. I mean, we got the French guy. We have the guy that looks like, you know, scrawny Kingpin. Or Egghead. Yeah. Because, I mean, he's, yeah, he looks like a cross between Kingpin and Egghead because he has the Egghead look. But, I mean, he's dressed like the Kingpin. He has the purple pants, the white, like, tuxedo jacket with, like, the flower. Right. I mean, <laughs> the thing I'm entertained by, it's kind of, it's like the joke of, like, the, the Flash rogues where, like, they'll, you know, they'll spend, like, you know, a billion dollars on, like, this advanced technology to rob a bank of a thousand, a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, I mean, th these people have like a like this technological base that looks like something like you know you would expect like Doom to have in like a '70s FF story, and they're just trying to steal drugs. It's like they must have just found this and like, oh, we could do whatever we want. We could become drug lords. It's like <laughs> probably try and take over the world. Well, that's that's like you know the uh, Austin Powers thing. Where he's yeah. Like, a million dollars. And they're like, well, in today's world, it's not really that much money. I, I, I do get a kick out of the dog, like you mentioned. Yeah, it, it reminds me, actually, actually, it's funny. I wonder if this was an influence on it. Did you read the all-new Adam when they introduced Ryan Choi? I, I've meant to, but I never have. It, it, there, he has a dog, too, that he, like, rides, just like here. So I'm wondering if this was a bit of an influence on that series. Yeah, maybe. Wouldn't surprise me. Because it's the same thing. I mean, it makes sense for that shrinking character. I mean, a dog is a good you know, good animal for that. You know, because the dog actually, if it's a big enough dog, can still be intimidating and still do, you know, you know, you can see a dog that size biting the criminal and actually doing something, as opposed to like, you know, if we're talking like a Chihuahua. Yeah. Well, I, I, I then I, I think of. Uh, have you ever seen the movie Big Jake with John Wayne? No, I don't think I've seen that one. He's got he's got a dog that comes along with him, and he the dog is aptly named Dog. But he'll, <laughs> he'll you know that something will happen, and he'll just go Dog, and the dog will like jump on the guy who's trying to shoot him or something. And, like that's that's kind of what I'm picturing when you're describing that. Yeah, that sounds similar. But yeah, so I mean, they're obviously trying to set something up here. I, but like I said, the thing I liked is like I like this idea of like. You know, Peter Parker is supposed to be like this genius, chem you know, 
student. So it makes sense that if there's some kind of uh, you know school program where he's work they're working with someone like this like Hank Pym, which makes sense, he would be the one involved. And like it's almost like a it's like oh that'd be kind of cool if like they had done more with that, mm. where he doesn't know them as Spider Man, he knows them as Peter. Well, you know, you, you see it from kind of the other side when uh, I, I'm just remembering, like, I think it was in the Avengers and uh, Spider-Man is doing, like, the Beast is doing something and Spider-Man starts to help him and, and like, he's taking his mind, how the hell does he know all of this? You know, like, yeah. you can't get over that, you know, that Spider-Man's got this scientific genius to him. Yeah, it's making me want to read that two, like, there was a two-part Marvel team-up story. With against, I think it was Equinox with the Wasp and Yellow Jacket. Yes. And yes. I want to see if like any of this comes back, like if like if it's just Spider-Man meets them, or just like Peter, like if there are any rec, you know, is there anything about Peter knowing Hank? Does that come up at all? You know, is that is that part of it at all, or is it literally just Spider-Man helping them the whole time? If my memory is correct, it's just Spider-Man. Ah, oh, too bad. I don't think they make reference to this, but it would be cool if they did. I always like the callbacks. Yeah, and that's I, kind I, of fun. And I, I would like not only a callback, but then the little asterisk that says, look to mobile feature number four. Yeah. But they, I mean, they don't do that anymore. Yeah, but yeah, not sure. But I do like how they play Peter in here. I mean, this is kind of cool. Like, he's not doing the whole, I can't do anything because anyone will suspect him Spider-Man. He's doing just enough that it can be believed, that Hank can believe, well, he's doing this because he knows I'm a superhero. Yeah. Right. But it's also because Peter knows he's a superhero, but so am I. So it's kind of a a a nice change sometimes from like Peter always trying to find some excuse to escape. And, you know, and then getting him in all kinds of trouble with, you know, friends and family. It it would just be a fun way to have like a different side of him to see, you know, we can see. Yeah, the whole idea of having Peter Parker be the guest guest star instead of Spider-Man. You know, it's it's kind of a cool aspect of it. Of course, yeah. I don't know how much of an audience that pulls in. Yeah, because I mean, Spidey only appears. He only appears as Spidey on like what one page, one pay, full page, and then like a panel of the next one, and that's it. Yeah, there's one, two, three, four, five, five images. Or, yeah, five images with Spider-Man, and that's yeah. it. But they do, I mean, at least we do get that scene from the cover, sort of. It's outside, but yeah, we get the scene where he's holding the ant, the the nail up. Although this time he's holding the nail like you, you know, smarter, like you said. He's holding it around the sides of the nail with the bottom on the ground, not his hand underneath it. Yeah. But that part, oh, because that, like I said, that's something you know we could do that. You know, we could step on a nail. Yeah. And I know what that would be like, and that just is like, oh, that's creepy to me. Yeah, you you see the image, and it's like you can almost feel the the cringe over it. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Like, no wonder that guy's out of the fight. I'd be out of the fight. I'm like, I'm done. I give up. (laughs) Get my tetanus shot, please. What movie was that? Something goes on and the guy, like, gets hit or punched or whatever. And he's immediately, oh, you know, (laughs) of all things, I think it's uh, the movie Night Shift with Henry Winkler and uh, Michael Keaton. I think, I think I saw it's that, like once on cable years ago. Richard Belzer is one of the bad guys in it, and something happens where he gets like hit, and he's immediately like, "I give up, I give up, that's it." <laughs> <laughs> Which is the way I would be if I was ever a criminal. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm done. 
Yeah, exactly. There's a reason I'm not a criminal. <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's not all because I'm a good guy. I, I like to think it's mostly that, but it's also because I don't have a stomach for pain. <laughs> it's also like, I don't know if this is all going to be worth it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Can, can I win? Like, If I can get away with like a billion dollars, maybe. But I don't know if whatever's the, whatever the penalty is is worth it for like, you know, a thousand. So, uh, any more comments on this one before we move on to the next? No, I think that's it. Yeah, that's it. I mean, I've just I was amused. This was fun, and it was also it was. I, I like the uh, the fr- the difference. Reading the two of these back to back was kind of fun because you could tell the tone because like it's about eleven years difference. So this is seventy two. The other one's eighty three. You know, this is all narrated by Hank, but afterwards, but it still has a bit of that seventies. You know, the seventies purple prose. You know, as like when Hank finds out he can't train change, and you know back. Back to normal size, like the wind roared and I heard it laugh. A grim zephyr of alienation, fear, and doom. And I listened to the wind and I cried. <laughs> so it, it it was it was fun reading like that, you know, the change the change in like the tone of the book, you know, the narration the books will have just just like a decade later. Which is kind of funny because looking back at it for me, especially since both of these were before I started reading, they seemed far ago. But I mean, think about it. I, I look at stuff like, oh, that was like a few years ago. Like, no, that was like that was ninety eight. That was like twenty something years ago. <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing when you think about how how much time has gone by. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, you want to get this uh, ratings? Oh, sure. I almost forgot. I, let me bring it back up. I turned it off for a second. All right. Well, story is uh, it's not the greatest story in the world, but it's not. I mean, it's far from bad. It's actually a pretty decent story. Uh, like I said, it's just kind of funny because it's like all this just for some drug samples. But it makes sense. It's Ant-Man. You know, they're doing Ant story, you know, Ant-Man type stories they are doing a little smaller. They're not doing, you know, he's not fighting the cosmic people. Right. Um, so I but I enjoy the story a lot. I mean, it worked. So I. Not that great. I mean, I've, I've read better crime stories like that, but not, you know, it's not horrible. So I'm giving it a B plus story wise. Right. Uh, the art, I like Herb Trimp, but I like him better with an inker. You know, some of his faces seem a little off. Now, the criminals is one thing because they're new characters. They're going to look like however they're going to look here. That's how they look. But like there are times when like Hank Pym and like Peter Parker, like their heads look a little off. Like, you know, the top part of their face looks a little bigger than the bottom or vice versa. Right. Or there's too much space in between, like where their eyes are. So I think he's a little better with an inker. So I'm going to give it straight, but it's still good. And it tells the story. I mean, you can follow the story along. It's, you know, there's no confusing arrows all over. Mm-hmm. You, you know, to go, whoa, look here now and then here, you know, you can follow the story, what's happening. So that's a solid B. And the cover, I'm giving an A because I really like the cover. Plus, I am a sucker. I've said this before in places. I know it's not the most popular theory opinion, but I like that 70s period of Marvel where they have like the uh, the border. Okay, well, that's one area where we do disagree. I- I'm amused by that. I like the whole you know image right there, like the little almost like a movie poster middle, and then the top part is like you know just the cover, you know the copy of like Marvel feature. So I'm giving it a because I do like that, and it really is kind of a cool thing of like 
imagine makes you feel like because everything's so well done there i mean the rope's big there's a cigarette on the ground still smoking the the matches the paintbrush and like the dirty you know the dirty paint can it looks so much you know the perspective you would see if you were that size so i'm giving the cover an a i agree with that in fact, I, well, when you give your overall grade. Well, I guess then I, it's an overall, it's a good solid B, B comic. Is it the greatest comic in the world? No, but it is damn entertaining. Okay, uh, I'm not too far off from you. Uh, I think this is solid B plus cover. Um, I think it really, you know, it does get the point across. And it, it's, it's, I like the fact that it's showing something that's in the story. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it's it's enticing. I would want to pick it up based on that. Uh, I think I like the art just a little bit more than you, but I I'm, I tend to agree. You know, solid B. Uh, I I'm 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 a fan of Herb Trekkie, so I but I do agree with you that I think a strong inker would bring it up another level. I think with with a strong uh, with a strong inker, it could be. Uh, as good as it could be an A. Uh, the story I found to be entertaining, just kind of fun, you know, overall. I like the way that they had Peter Parker interacting with him. So I'm going to say a B on the story, and overall I'm going to give the book uh, a B plus. There you go. Yeah, it's. I think it's one thing I've noticed when somebody has a bit more of a style, sometimes when they're doing uh, existing characters already that have like a look, it kind of throws off a bit, but when they're doing a new original characters, like I said, the criminals I like, like that guy Goldie, that close up of him with the gold tooth and like the one kind of lazy eye. Right. You know, I'm entertained by that. It's like the the Peter and Hank that looks a little weird. That's like, well, that's like I guess that's Peter Parker. You know, even though his neck is like <laughs> the size of his head on that same page, the bottom of page six. Oh. I mean, Herb Trippy had like a very distinctive style when it came to drawing faces, uh, and and you know, I mean, this this fits right into it. But again, I, I definitely agree with you that a strong inker would have helped. Yeah. So sticking with our shrinking uh, theme, I went and I took uh, Sword of the Atom, uh, number one, which has a cover date of September of 1983. Uh, and this is an effort, clearly, to combine a superhero character into the sword and sorcery world that, you know, Conan and Cull and all those people, John Carter, you know, yep. that type of thing. Uh, and I'm going to steal quickly the synopsis from the DC Wiki, Wiki because that's what I do. It's written by uh, Jan Sch- I'm not exactly how to pronounce, how to pronounce it. It's S T R N A D. Strad. I'm not sure. Yeah, that's the best I could do with that. It's penciled by Gil Kane, inked by Gil Kane, colored by Thomas Zuko, inker, uh, lettered by John Costanza, and edited by Dick Giordano and Gil Kane. Uh, the cover shows the Adam in a slight variation on his traditional costume because he has the open head with his hair sticking out. Uh, and he's riding a frog, but it's not just riding a frog, it's riding a frog with a saddle on it. Uh, and there is a, I guess, a rattlesnake or some other type of snake coming at him. 
and he's got a sword in his hand and he's ready to swing and defend against the snake. Uh, very exciting looking cover as far as I'm concerned. The story synopsis is that Ray Palmer discovers his wife Jean cheating on him with her new legal partner, Paul Hoban. Hurt, he takes a trip to the Amazon jungle in search of a white dwarf star fragment, but he's attacked by the pilots of his charter plane who are cocaine smugglers. He becomes the Atom to fight back, but the plane crashes and both smugglers die. The Atom discovers his size and weight controls have been short-circuited, stranding him at six-inch height in the jungle. Hmm, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? He encounters yeah. a tribe of tiny yellow-skinned people, including Princess Lathwen and rebel leader Taryn, both of them citizens of the hidden city of Moralaid. Adam and Taryn are taken prisoner, though the Adam attempts to fight back. Meanwhile, in Ivy Town, Jean Loring hears that her husband's wedding band has been discovered in the plane wreckage in Brazil and mistakenly assumes Jean Ray Palmer is dead. So, you know, right away they, they create the, uh, you know, the, the problem with him and his wife to let him go off on his own. And I'm actually a little surprised that they, that they went back to her at the end to, uh, you know, to give that end of the mystery because I thought it was like, okay, get them separated. Now he can go off and be a swashbuckler. Uh, and I, 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 I really think Gil Kane was bringing his A game to this one as far as storytelling and everything. I, I'm thinking he was more involved than just penciling it. I mean, he's, he's listed as ink, ink hit and as an editor. Yeah, so, I noticed that too. So I'm thinking that that he's not just drawing what Jan Strand is is writing. He's you know he's probably heavily involved in the plotting and maybe the concept of you know turning the Adam into a sword and sorcery character. Uh, and I I, I got to say you know I'm, I'm a mark for Gil Kane to begin with, but I love the art in this issue. I think this is dynamite. This is great. I mean those pages I'm looking at like the page of him finding her in the car. Yeah. With page five, like that's just the look, like the way he draws her in the car and then him out there getting soaked. The look, I mean, that is a look of shock. Yeah. Well, it's two looks of shock. You give yeah. him and her. Uh, and and what, what's one of the things that's really cool about it is that Kane does a great job of drawing these pages, which are, you know, just the regular human interaction. And then he also does a great job with the, uh, you know, the alien type creatures uh and and their you know sword and sorcery thing so you know there's a whole lot going on here this this is even though the synopsis is relatively relatively short you know a lot occurs in in these pages oh yeah you know but it, but it's it all really sets up this story well this was if i remember right this was a four issue miniseries and then it was followed up with another series at some point yeah, and I think they also had a uh, like one or two specials. Yeah, I think they did. Yeah, this is another thing I like. I've meant to, I've heard about this, and I was curious about reading it, but never had, it just never popped up for me to read. You know that I actually read it. So once you suggested it, I was like, oh, good. Hmm. Excuse to, you know again like these. That's the good thing about doing stuff like that. It's like gives me an excuse to read something I haven't you know planned on reading before. Yeah, yeah, that's that's one of the things I love about doing the show is when people bring things that I'm interested in reading but never got a chance to, and now all of a sudden it's you know 
kind of thrust upon me. Uh, you know, the the way the story builds up is pretty cool too. And, and I, you know, the synopsis didn't really uh, kind of do do uh, justice to it. That when you know when when he gets in, first of all, the whole thing with catching Gene in the uh, in the act of cheating, you know, th- there's there's a lot of thought balloons and everything that goes into what's going on there. Uh, and, and there's a lot, you know, a lot of emotion that's put out in those, whatever, five or six pages or seven pages, whatever it is, before he leaves for South America. Then we have the, you know, the, the bit on the plane with those guys and, and them betraying him and knocking him out because they're afraid he's going to catch on to their cocaine issues. Uh, and, uh, then, then we get into the whole thing after they crash, and he gets involved with the, uh, you know, with, with these this tribe of I don't even know. I, I keep saying aliens, but they're not really aliens because they're on Earth. But yeah, you know. I'm not sure. I forget if they are aliens or not, or what they are. But yeah, they're not exactly human because they're besides being tiny, they're yellow skinned. Yeah, and and then you know ultimately he winds himself up with this one character who seems to be you know on the right side of things and they end up in the dungeon in chains and they're part of the cliffhanger ends with the two of them in chains and starting to be set upon by rats yeah oh and there's a lot and those rats are well done and there's a lot of nasty looking yeah you know what the funny thing is i'm just thinking about now this obviously predates it by a lot but this reminds me of uh, the opening sequence from Army of Darkness. Do you know, I have to hang my head in shame and tell you I've seen Army of Darkness. That's okay. But it's, it's similar to this. Okay. He's trapped somewhere weird, doesn't really speak the language of the, uh, you know, fully the language, you know, know what's going on. They're looking at him like he's an idiot and he's thrown in the pit with like a monster. Sounds like Luke in the Sarlacc pit. Not the Sarlacc pit, the uh, in Jabba's palace. Yeah, which I would almost say could almost be the more likely uh, influence on this. Except I don't. I'm trying to remember when this came. It said when this came out because this is Return of the Jedi. Yeah, I mean when in '83 because Return of the Jedi was '83, so it depends. If this was early, the cover date is September of '83. So I'm I'm thinking this, this this and that happened independent of each other, you know, with the production time on it all. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like it might it might be, but it's hard to tell. I mean, obviously, Army of Darkness is like '91, so several years later. Right. But you know, just just pulling this out because really the only reason I pulled it out is because you picked an Ant Man book. Yeah. Uh, but now that makes me want to now read the rest of the series, which I don't think I've read since 1983. I definitely do want to read the rest of the series. I want to see where this goes, especially since I know he's spe- obviously he's spending time with them. Because, I mean, the way they do this, I mean, from what I, you know, I've heard some stuff about the Jean Loring character since. Well, she's been through a lot since. <laughs> oh, I, I read Identity Crisis, I know. <laughs> but, I mean... I kind of got the, had gotten the impression that, like, she cheated on him, and that was it. She's like, yeah, we're done. And you don't really get that full impression there. I mean, yeah, she lets him go without him saying anything, but, like, you can tell there's, like, some reg- there's regret there. Like, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't know what to say. 
And not only is there regret there, but at the end, when she gets the word that the plane crashed and they think he was on it, you know, you can see she's clearly upset. Yeah. It, it makes you it, 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 I like that, by the way, because I was in there watching that going, oh, so when he gets beaten up, I'm like, well, OK, so that guy, I can see the guy has his ring. So what is that going to mean? Is he going to be a villain? Is he going to have like, is that how the Adam loses his power, you know, size changing stuff? Because this guy has it. It's in the ring. But it's like, oh, no, that's just because that makes him think he's dead. Because mm-hmm. now the guy has his his ring on and he dies and his body's burned. And they're like, well, we found the body with this ring on it. Was that your husband's? <laughs> well, then I would think they'd have more ultimately to uh, to to kind of identify his body, dental records, whatever. So I'm sure I, I don't remember where this story goes, but I'm thinking they'll they'll realize it's not him before too long. Yeah, it just makes me want to see that now. So it did its job. It wants me. It want, makes me want to read issue two. Yeah, definitely. So I guess we can rate this one, and I'm going to go first on this one. Uh, I got to say, cover and interior art. I think it's outstanding Gilcane work. I'm giving it A's. And the story had me riveted. I'm giving it an A. And I'm giving this book an A. I, I really like this. And like I said, it makes me want to read the uh, the next few issues again. Okay, we're not far off. Uh, I really enjoyed the, the the interior work. It's definitely a solid A. And I the cover just pops. I mean, the Adam on that frog with the sword ready to fight the snake is just so cool looking that I'm giving the cover an A+. Cool. And, just, you know, I like the cover. I mean, I like the interior art, but the cover is even better. Like, he had more time with the cover, it looks like. Yeah. yeah a lot like of detail there, too. On the yeah. grass and everything. Exactly. So that cover is just so cool looking that I like that even more. And I still did really enjoy the work inside. But I think the cover, you know, he spent like a whole, uh, you know, if he spent like, a, you know, several weeks doing everything else, he spent like a whole week itself on the cover, it feels like. And the story, yeah, A2. So, yeah, this is a solid A book. This is worth reading. I enjoyed the other one. But if I'm going to if I have to pick which one I'm going to finish reading, to, let's say, like, which one I'm going to go to next. I'm probably going to finish Adam first before I go back to Ant-Man. I still want to, but I want to see what happens here more. Yeah, and I, and I, I, I don't necessarily want to put down one book in favor of the other, but I agree. It's not like saying good, bad. It's just which one do I want? You know, if I have to choose one to read tonight, which one am I going to read the next issue of? And this one has more, that one has the feeling of a, you know, of a, of a solid story. This one has the feeling where it's almost cinematic. You could see them making a movie out of this. Oh, God, yeah. This will be a cool movie. So, that yeah. I, would, I would love it. That was one of their new DC movies that they did, Sword of the Atom. Oh, yeah. I, I would definitely be up for that. I don't think they'll ever make it, but I would be up for it. Yeah, we never know. I mean, how many other things we said I don't think they'd ever do? True. I mean, so if you got me, you know, years back and said, oh, they're going to make a Guardians of the Galaxy movie, I would have told you that you're insane. <laughs> Werewolf by Night special. Yeah. You know, hour-long special with, you know, Ulysses Bloodstone. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. how much more obscure can you get? Yeah, or even, you know, that they're going to make a big screen feature out of the Eternals. Exactly. So at this so, point, anything's possible. 
maybe you know some DC executive is listening to us talk. Yeah, maybe they'll know. Anyway, if you are if you are listening and you want to make a movie out of it, let us know because I'll be happy that we influenced you. Yeah. Uh, but in the meanwhile, thanks for coming on, Al. I appreciate your time. No problem. Thanks for having and me. And why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Sure. Well, the main place to find me is my show, Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, which is all about the Marvel characters Adam and Thanos. I mean, it's right there in the name, people. So just go type in Adam Warlock or Thanos, whatever podcatcher you use, and we'll pop up. You can also find me uh, mostly every week on the L-E-G-I-O-N-P-O-D-Cast, in which we talk about the late 80s, early 90s uh, DC comic sci-fi series Legion. Not Legion of Superheroes. This is the one with the acronym with Girl Docs and Lobo. Although, to be honest, we are not talking about Legion right now because we finished that series. We're talking about Rebels. And no, not the Rebels that came out post-Zero Hour. The next series of Rebels from 2008. <laughs> We've gone that far. But you can find that on the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed. Cool. All right. So thanks again for coming on. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of Demanzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.